Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, The Crash of the Big Operator, and I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on YouTube or Audio Burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Today's story recounts the brief career of a young Army Air Corps pilot from his days at Carnegie Tech to an untimely end in the blue waters of the Central Pacific during World War II. Was it due to enemy action or pilot error? Stay tuned and we'll answer the mystery to what took the life of a young hero with such a bright future. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to our loyal listeners at the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory, sometimes called AFDIL. I remember only a few short years ago when the laboratory hierarchy at the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, referred to DNA as, quote, voodoo science, end quote. Well, now that the antiquated JPAC lab is defunct, and AFDIL is making most of the MIA identifications, I guess we can see who was right. Well, keep up the great work, AFDIL, and on with our show. Today's episode is from case number 0424 from the investigative case files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. The MIA featured in our story today was dropped from the official list of casualties from the Battle of Tarawa from 1945 to 2018. (laughs) How does that happen? And his actual crash site still remains a mystery, even though it was witnessed, mapped, and even given latitude and longitude coordinates. How does that happen? Well, stay tuned while we explore a special double mystery on today's No Home for Heroes. John Young Thames Jr. stated he was born in Harrison Township, Pennsylvania. He was known as Jack to his family and friends. Jack's hobbies included participating in sports and building model airplanes. When he was 10 years old, Jack joined the Pittsburgh Press's Junior Aviators Club. In high school, Jack even won a trip to England to participate in the Wakefield Model Airplane Competition, where he won second place. Jack graduated from Wilkinsburg High School in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania in 1938, and then he enrolled in the Carnegie Institute of Technology, also known as Carnegie Tech, where he was a member of the Institute of Aeronautical Sciences, the National Aeronautical Association, and the Birdman of America Club. While attending school, Jack worked for Westinghouse Corporation as a tester of switchgears. At the time of the 1940 census, Jack was living with his parents, John and Irene Thames, and a younger sister in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The house where Jack grew up at 619 Cascade Road in Pittsburgh is still there. If you live nearby, go by and pay homage to Jack at the home where he was not able to return to. Please don't bother the current residents, as we doubt they even know that an American hero wants to live there. 
At the time of the census, Jack had completed one year of college at Carnegie Tech and was still enrolled there. Jack's father was born in Russia and served in the U.S. Army during World War I as an infantry lieutenant. He spoke German and was employed as a superintendent in an insurance office. Jack graduated from Carnegie Tech in 1942 with a Bachelor of Science degree in aeronautical engineering. Upon graduation, he immediately enlisted in the U.S. Army at Fort Belvoir in Virginia on 4 May 1942 and was commissioned a second lieutenant. Jack listed his father as his next of kin. He completed all the necessary paperwork to receive $10,000 in U.S. government life insurance and listed his mother as the beneficiary. In addition, Jack bought war bonds each month from his salary in the amount of $18.75 and had them sent to a Miss Anna Lois Stallings in Moultrie, Georgia. This is another kind of a mystery. We don't really know who Miss Stallings was, a girlfriend perhaps, or maybe even a fiancé who Jack planned to marry after the war. If you know the answer, drop us a line and let us know. Lieutenant Thames was originally assigned to the Engineer Corps in the Army, but quickly received a transfer to the Army Air Force Reserve Corps. He was sent to flight school and later graduated from the Advanced Flying School for Single Engine Pursuit Planes at Spencefield, Georgia. By the way, Spence Field was in, you guessed it, Moultrie, Georgia, where Miss Stallings lived. We doubt this was a coincidence. In any case, Jack received his silver pilot's wings in February 1943. Lieutenant Thames was shipped overseas to Honolulu, Hawaii on 28 March 1943 as a member of the 72nd Fighter Squadron at Bellows Field, Hawaii. While at Bellows, Lieutenant Thames' unit completed advanced training in the P-40 Warhawk fighter. In June 1943, the newer Bell P-39Q Cobra began to arrive at Bellows Field, and Jack's unit, the 72nd Fighter Squadron, traded in their Warhawks for the Cobras. In many ways, the P-39 was an odd airplane. It had a car door for the pilot to enter the cockpit but it was also a beast, known as a flying cannon, in reference to the 37mm cannon mounted in the propeller hub of each airplane, and four 50 caliber machine guns. Almost 10,000 P-39s were built during World War II, with most shipped overseas to Russia, where the Russians used them for ground attack against German tanks and infantry. Joined with the 318th Fighter Group, Lieutenant Thames and the 72nd Fighter Squadron flew reconnaissance patrols over the Hawaiian Islands until December 1943. While in Hawaii, Jack gave this interview to a local newspaper. Helen Berkey wrote in her column, Service Sketches, Lieutenant Jack Thames of the USAAF is from Pittsburgh. Jack said, I'm a graduate of the Carnegie Tech. I was graduated in aeronautics in the class of 1942. Lieutenant Thames has always been interested in airplanes. He said, When I was about 10, I started to model airplanes and really got pretty good at it. By the time I was out of high school, I had acquired great skill in modeling. 
I won second place in the international model plane contest. That was the high point of my life. I was sent to Wakefield to receive my award. I was given five weeks at the New York World's Fair. I stayed at a big hotel, attended banquets, and we had a royal time. I think I know my plane inside and out, Jack said. I call her Big Operator. She's a fighter and a swell airplane. I have a job promised me when I get out after the war, he said. But my ambition is to go into the manufacturing of aircraft. Well, little did Jack know when he gave that interview, he had less than 40 days to live. In December 1943, the 72nd Fighter Squadron in their new P-39s flew off the deck of the escort aircraft carrier USS Nassau and landed at Macon Island in the Tarawa Atoll. On 23 December 1943, Lieutenant Thames and his wingman, First Lieutenant George S. Farina, shot down a Japanese Zero fighter plane off Millie Island. Both Lieutenant Thames and Lieutenant Farina shared half credit for the kill in the official records of the United States Air Force. On the next day, which just happened to be Christmas Eve, Lieutenant Thames took off from the airfield on Macon in his P-39, nicknamed, as he said, the Big Operator, for another combat air patrol. On this day, the Big Operator was shot down by the Japanese, and Lieutenant Thames was forced to parachute to safety, landing in the ocean. With some difficulty, he was rescued and returned to his unit. On the afternoon of 22 January 1944, Lieutenant Thames climbed aboard P-39 number 42-19518 at Macon Airfield for another combat patrol with his wingman, 1st Lieutenant Farina. Lieutenant Thames' aircraft on this day, probably a replacement for the original big operator, that had been shot down on Christmas Eve, and, as was the custom with many fighter pilots during World War II, probably renamed Big Operator II. This aircraft today was built by the Bell Aircraft Corporation in Wheatfield, New York in 1942. The model was officially designated as a P-39Q1-BE. It was, like all the rest, armed with four 50 caliber machine guns, and one 37mm cannon mounted in the nose of the aircraft. It was a beast. The circumstances of Lieutenant Thames' loss on that day is best described by his wingman in his official statement. Lieutenant Farina wrote, On 22 January 1944, at 1640 hours, 2nd Lieutenant John Thames and I were just finishing our patrol. We were flying the northeast leg of a northeast to southwest combat air patrol along the northern tip of the Tarawa Atoll at an altitude of 2,000 feet as ordered by control. I was on the right. I banked up in a steep turn to the right, which was our tactical signal to do a 180-degree turn. Immediately, I saw that Lieutenant Thames banked left. I rolled out of my turn and looked over to where Lieutenant Thames was supposed to be. At that moment, I was attracted by a large splash. I looked down in time to see a large column of water and pieces of the plane falling into the water from the splash. I did not see the plane hit. 
I called control and reported the accident, and then I circled the spot. The only thing I could see was an oil slick. I was relieved in about 15 minutes and landed. Included with Lieutenant Farina's statement was a hand-drawn map with the notation of, quote, plane crashed here, end quote, and an arrow, along with the coordinates latitude 173 degrees 1 minute and longitude 1 degree 33 minutes. You know, thanks to modern technology, Google Earth Pro, there's an apparent conflict in the hand-drawn map and the latitude-longitude coordinates of Lieutenant Thames' crash site as shown on the map. The coordinates are indicated on the map, and the apparent notation by Lieutenant Farina of plane crashed here and the arrow are really nowhere close to each other. One's at the north tip of the Tarawa Atoll, and one's at the south tip of the Tarawa Atoll. The Graves Registration Unit report of January 1944 on Tarawa Island, or sometimes known as Basio Island, and the island commander on Tarawa, Captain E.C.B. Gould, in his report of June 1944, both failed to note Lieutenant Thames as a casualty. Lieutenant Thames was on the American Graves Registration Service list of Tarawa unaccounted for on their report filed on 16 July 1948. However, I inv our investigators have found that the typing was so bad on the initial American Graves Registration Service report that it probably played a role in the fact that Lieutenant Thames was dropped from future Tarawa casualty lists. He remained dropped due to this bad typing until his loss was added to the official government list of Tarawa casualties in 2018. Foundation researchers have requested Lieutenant Thames' individual deceased personnel file from the National Archives via a Freedom of Information Act request in September 2018. These requests are required by law to be provided within 2018, within 20 days. Almost a year later, the individual deceased personnel file from Lieutenant Thames has yet to be provided to us by the government. So what really happened to Lieutenant Thames? At the time of his death, he was an experienced and trained pilot who had approximately 500 hours of flight time. Well, the records indicate that the official cause of his crash was noted as follows. Quote, P-39Q Aracobra number 42-19518 lost on combat patrol approximately one and one quarter mile west of Tarawa Atoll with other P-39s suffered a high-speed stall, a high-speed stall from its successive rate of turn causing spin and loss of control. Crashed into the sea, no trace of pilot observed. End quote. Well, experience tells us that at only 2,000 feet of altitude, Jack would have had precious little time to bail out, and certainly no shoot was observed by the only witness, Lieutenant Farina. Lieutenant Thames' parents received a telegram from the War Department on 9 February 1944 notifying them that Jack had been killed in action when his plane crashed into the ocean off Tarawa. There is no record in any available file that we've yet to see 
that indicates that his remains were ever recovered or identified. On 2 May 1950, the state of Pennsylvania provided Lieutenant Thames' parents what they considered full compensation for his war service in the amount of $500. Today, John Young Thames Jr., Jack, remains missing in action, probably still strapped in the cockpit of the Big Operator 2 at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean somewhere off the coast of Tarawa Atoll. Our Foundation investigators have the map drawn by Lieutenant Farina, and we have the latitude and longitude coordinates listed by the only witness to the crash, Lieutenant Farina. We even have the serial numbers from the machine guns and the cannon on board the big operator, too, when it crashed. If anyone with the government listens to this broadcast and contacts us, we'll be glad to share the investigative report that we prepared for the family, and we would hope that they could go and find Jack and bring him home to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, PA. Finally. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. You can now subscribe to Listen Flee Free. <laughs> it's Listen Free, not Flee, but Listen Free on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. And a special thanks to iHeartRadio, who recently listed our episodes to their available playlist. Don't forget to tune in every Saturday when we will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Brickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments. And a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next episode with another true story about one of our missing American heroes. It will be our special 4th of July episode, complete with some long overdue fireworks. Tune in to hear it for yourself next week on No Home for Heroes. Until next time, be careful. Be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>